Welcome to January Magazine's On Acting, where we talk to actors a little bit about where they've worked, a little more about why they work, and a lot about how they work. Ah. Today, I'm joined with Patrick Savangi. Patrick is known for Flash, Homeland, the feature film Drone with Sean Bean, and uh, coming out season two of Shooter. You just wrapped season two of Shooter. That's right. It's coming out soon, actually. Uh, July 18th. Awesome. Weeks. So much for being here, Patrick. Thanks. Uh, so, uh, Patrick, let's start with the question I start with all the time. Where were you born and where did you grow up? Uh, I was born and raised in Montreal, Canada. Right. That's uh, it. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I moved around a lot later in life, yeah, um, and I'm still moving around. It feels like, but I had a pretty stable d- upbringing. Uh, you know, born you feel like if someone asks you where you're from, you say Montreal, Montreal proudly, uh, and I say it, uh, you know, with pride, and I say it often, and I say it loudly. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm very grateful for having grown up there. My parents immigrated to uh, Montreal from Egypt. Um, few years before I was born. Um, so they were still, you know, they were r- recent immigrants. It's, it, like in my childhood, that's how I kind of remember them. But being an immigrant and a first generation Canadian in Montreal at that time, that was common. That was the, that was the norm. Yeah, All yeah. of my friends were like first generation immigrants that um, had recently, like they all had siblings that were born in their home country. So, yeah. For me, being born in Montreal, it was actually an intersection of like all these different cultures and experiences. It's kind of a city thing. Like cities generally, yeah. are, are, are people are not from the city. Like New York's like that, right? To Vancouver, so well, like certain that. big cities. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I imagine if you're from Calgary, you know, or Winnipeg, you're probably <laughs> yeah. So Calgary's great. It's way. great. No, yeah. it's lovely. Yeah. Um, uh, where? What was your first performance? Your first memory of performance? Do you have a first performance memory? Uh, professional or just, uh, no, just not pro- at all. No. Uh, probably not. Maybe, but most people not. Most people. Oh shit. Uh, I guess dance was kind of my first. You were a dancer. Yeah. I was a dancer. Wow. Like, in junior high, uh, I was in the dance program. I hadn't really done any acting. Um, and we, uh, I did like, I did, uh, some jazz stuff. Uh, Swan Lake comes oh, to wow. mind. That is actually probably the first vivid image of memory that I have. I hold it. I'm in grade. Uh, I'm in grade eight. Yeah. So however old you are in grade eight. And what do you remember about the performance? Like, is it, was it the first time that you go like, "This is for me"? Uh, yeah. I, I remember taking the stage and the lights coming on and the audience's attention, like the murmur in the darkness. Yeah, yeah. Ending when I came out and I was the first dancer on stage, and having their complete focus and attention and going. They're in good hands. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so then, uh, did you were you performing all through school, or is that kind of um, you went off and did other stuff? No, I went off and did a lot of other stuff. Um, I'm trying to remember. Well, I remember my first drama class, and it wasn't it wasn't like a big public performance. Well, my first drama class uh, with Mr. Sheldon Cohen at uh, Sir Winston Churchill High School. What we did in class, we um, we put society on trial. So he he created this mock courtroom where there was a prosecution, a defense, and a, like a panel of judges. Yeah. Uh, and I was I was on the um, prosecution team, 
And we had to come up, we had to go home and come up with arguments why we were putting society on trial. And society was either going to continue or be condemned. Right. And, uh... North American society. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I guess North American society. I mean, it, we, we didn't really qualify it that much. I guess we, right. it was like just assumed. It was yeah, just assumed, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, and I remember just attacking that with confidence. And I had, like, cane rows and, like, <laughs> and I didn't care. And I brought in evidence and, like, um, yeah. And I just remember just attacking that assignment with, like, it just was clear. And I, I knew how to win an argument and, like, challenge people and then take, take the, the defense's arguments and just flip them on their heads. Right. And then, so the final quote unquote performance was kind of opened up to other classes and other teachers and stuff. Yeah. And, and so are you, that, at that point you start taking drama in high school or drama in high school? Yeah. Yeah. That was probably grade, uh, grade 10. Uh-huh. Actually, I remember the moment I decided to switch into drama from dance. I was skipping class. Me and a friend of mine, I can't remember who was... But there was only two or three guys in the dance program. And I loved it. It was right. fine. But we were skipping class for, for no particular reason. And uh, Mr. Spiros, the vice principal, caught us in the halls. He's like, shouldn't you guys be in class? And, uh, and my reflex was to go, yeah, but you know what? I, I feel uncomfortable in that dance class. We're the only guys. And there's all these women. And uh, I, I, I just can't go back there. And it turned into like me, it went from me like being suspended to him going, oh my gosh, well, come to my office. Let's talk about this. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I was like, yeah, I don't want to be in dance anymore. And it was, it was a lie, man. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking, he's like, what would you rather do? And I remember thinking, I'm going to be really good at drama. Eventually, whenever I get into that, I'm going to be really good at it. So I just pulled out that card then and said, oh, I want to be in drama instead of dance. Right. And that was it. And then I got into Mr. Cohen's acting class. And did you, uh, did you know from the right, the get go that you were going to, this is what you were going to do for your career or were you? No, I always knew it was going to be part of it. Yeah. I always knew that was going to be part of my career. I knew I wasn't going to work a nine to five. I knew, uh, my, my superpower at the time was bringing people together and like event organizing. I used to DJ. I used to like help plan weddings. I used to like plan, uh, fundraising fashion shows for the Quebec cancer foundation. And I knew that bringing people together in a space and, uh, having an entertainment aspect, music or fashion show or something, that's what I did. And I knew that acting was a part of that, but I didn't see it as a narrow path of, I'm, I'm going to be an actor telling somebody else's stories and getting paid to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Where did that come about? It's interesting to me, just, I guess, before we get there that, uh, I mean, I know you well enough to know that you are big, uh, in causes still. I mean, you're wearing a hat that says equally human. You have a sticker on your laptop that says, I love human rights from Amnesty (laughs) International. Uh, and that amongst all the projects that you've chosen to take on, uh, over the last few years, um, and so that's an early thing. This is not something that's new. This has been your whole life, I guess. Yeah. And, and tying that into performance and tying that into... Um, it's interesting that you say that. I thought that my social activism was a recent thing. But hearing myself talk about it now, I realize, yeah, it is something I always believed in. And using, the, and using your voice as a performer, as a, as a megaphone for your social activism. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, it always just made sense. I think what happened was I became conscious of it recently. Right. I think when I was young, it just made sense. If you have a bunch of people in a room, well, you kind of have a responsibility as the organizer. I thought, I think I thought of myself as a producer or an event organizer, but I always felt that responsibility of like, yeah, of course, if, if we're going to bring people in a room, then we, we should be mindful about what we're talking about in that room. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so when did you get into to acting seriously? When did it become a thing that you, uh, was it right after high school or was it later on? Um, after high school, I went to, I went to Vanier college. So in Quebec, it works a little bit differently. Uh, high school goes till grade 11. Right. Right. And then we have this intermediary step, which yeah. is kind of the equivalent of junior college in the States, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, others, other schools in Canada, I guess, go to grade 12 or 13 or something. Right. Um, so in, I got to CJEP, which is supposed to be a two year program. Uh, I stayed in there for like four and a half years cause it's this awesome kind of educational limbo <clears throat> where the stakes aren't very high Yeah, and you can just drift in there for years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I did, and I just, I strived in that environment. Yeah. Strove. Strove, yeah, yeah, you should see. I was striven yeah. in that. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I, I got it in my head that I wanted to do Shakespeare. Uh, I can't remember why. I think I, I either read Hamlet in a class or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I had a, a drama teacher. His name was Roger Guetta when I got to Vanier College, and he was a trippy artist. He's a multidisciplinary artist right now. He does like photocopying art and then mirrors and lasers, like a bunch of weird, weird stuff. But he applied that kind of artistry to our acting class. The first thing he told us on the first day was you're all geniuses. You're all geniuses. And as genius artists, people aren't going to understand you. People aren't going to understand the art you create, including me. I can't judge you. I can't grade you. So right now, if you all show up, you're all going to get an A because as an artist, nobody can judge your art. And I remember going, yeah, that's how I feel about it. This is in junior college or whatever? This is, yeah. First oh, year. Wow. What a great year. teacher. Yeah. 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 He was. It was amazing. Um, I'm really glad I'm talking about it because I don't think about that often. But that's kind of contextualized everything I do. Um, and that was really hard for me when I became an acting teacher to grade people at first because I was like, she's up there. She said the words. She had to cry through half of it because she's terrified. Yeah. But the parts that she said were terrific and I was I became such a huge fan of anybody's artistic effort right that it was hard for me to like quantify it you know yeah um but I remember after uh Guetta's class you know he'd brought in some classical text and I fell in love with Shakespeare and I, I desperately wanted to perform in Shakespeare but Vanier didn't have a theater club or a, a or a theater company and there was nowhere for me to do a formal play Right. Uh, and there had never been a performance of Shakespeare at Vanier. Um, I was also playing football there and that was kind of my main focus at the time was right. athletics. That's, that's really why I stayed there like four years because yeah. everything it took it back. And it's a pretty big, uh, like that sounds like a, I think I've heard the name Vanier. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in football. like a, yeah. In football. Yeah. That, it was like the number one. I don't know if it still is, but we would send more players to the NCAA on scholarships than any other school across Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds familiar. Um, So that was my focus. uh, And I was trying to do that, you know, trying to play football and do school. And um, uh, so, so I started the theater club 
ye old thespian society. <laughs> no, <laughs> pre- no pretense at all. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> you, spelled O L D E. Right, of course. Uh, so I started the club, and then I was still doing my fashion shows for the Quebec Cancer Foundation. So I was also the president and founder of the the um, fashion show club at Vanier. And I guess I was the only at the time the only president of two clubs. So I had my own office. All all wow. clubs had to share an office. Wow. So I had my own office. I got super shady in there, but um, it was I was a very busy young man. Yeah. And you know, uh, after a couple of years in the institution, I knew all the corners and stuff. So you're doing shows. You're producing. So shows. I produced the first ever production of Hamlet. And wow! Did you play Hamlet? And I played Hamlet. Wow! Yeah. Good for you. Because I don't think I knew enough. About what I didn't know right. to be afraid to do it. It's, I was just, because I still had Roger Guetta in my head going, you're a genius. Yeah, and yeah. anything you do, nobody can judge it. And I was like, oh, I want to do Hamlet. Right. And so I, I directed. I got my friend Anik, who was the only girl in school who I knew had an interest in it. Right. I don't think she'd ever directed. <clears throat> but she might have had done a play somewhere in her past. And I was like, oh, so you helped me direct it. And it was honestly a really good production. And we got reviewed by like actual theater critics in town and became one of the shows to go see cool in town. And, uh, that was like my first formal, you know, performance show. show. And so from there you go, where, where, where's your next acting step before? I mean, I'm sure it becomes a few years before you book your first job. Uh, yeah. What do you do next? Uh, The next years get a little, I go and walk about for a while and walk away from it all. Um, yeah, I didn't, I, yeah, after that, uh, I don't remember a lot of... I don't think I did much after Hamlet. Yeah. Uh, what brought you back? Well, I was on Walkabout for about a year and a half. Uh, and uh, I was... Just, just finding yourself? Just finding myself. I ended up in Jamaica for more than half that time. Um, and, you know, grew dreadlocks and smoked all the weed. Uh, <laughs> read the Bible. I got into religion. I hung out with some Rastafarians there for a while. And, uh, just kind of find my, found my spirituality. Yeah. Um, and when I came back, uh, I went to university, I went to Concordia university. I kind of ended it. I ended my walkabout cause I ran out of money. Uh, I ran out of money early on, but then I, I found these hustles where I'd, I was living in Jamaica and I'd fly back to Miami and buy those old cell phones, you know, those big blocks. Cell yeah. Phones. yeah. <clears throat> you could buy them in Miami for like. 60 bucks because they were kind of obsolete, yeah. but they were three watt phones, which means they're really, really powerful. So on the island, those are the only cell phones that worked. Oh yeah. So you get them for like 65 bucks in Miami. I could sell them in Jamaica for like 240 bucks. Right. Um, so I'd go back to Miami, buy four or five phones and then come back to Jamaica and sell them. And so I lived off that for a while. And then I helped out some folks on the bus and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but when that dried up, uh, when I had left on my walkabout, my birthday present from my dad, I told him, look, I'm going to go as far and as long as I can go. When I run out, <clears throat> just bring me home. You know, and that was my present. So I just called him one day on, that, on that three watt phone. And I was like, okay, you know, I got to come back. He's like, where are you? I'm like in Jamaica. I'm like, all right. So I came back. Went to university. I studied religion for the first year um, and tried to play football again, but I had lost a step and, you know, I made it through one season, didn't play much. It didn't really, like the football thing wasn't working out. Um, And then at the end of that, I switched from religion 
into theater because I'd made the connection that, uh, like organized religion, or at least the practicing of it is basically theater, right? You have, you have a stage, you have a text, you have performers, you have an audience, you know, you have a message. Uh, and I realized there's no career for me in religion. Right. Uh, and so I just transferred into theater and that's, that's when it became formal and like academic. And I really like academics. I really like school. Yeah. I do well in that environment. Uh, I enjoy it. Thrive. Was I the word. thrive. Yeah. yeah. Strive. I think I said yeah, but thrive. Yeah. yeah. You're thriving again. Yeah. yeah. So, and yeah, is there, is this program, how long is the program? At Concordia is, yeah. um, it's a three year program. And you were there for all three. Well, I had switched a lot of my credits from, from religion into theater and yeah. I wasn't in theater performance. I was actually in drama for human development. Oh wow. Okay. Which is the application of theater exercises for social change, for education, for, uh, wow. it leads that undergrad leads to a, a, a master's in uh, drama therapy. And I'm from a family of, you know, psychologists. So I, th- <clears throat> I knew I wasn't going to become a drama therapist, but I thought that would become I didn't think I needed formal training to become an actor, but so everything was kind of associated with acting. So even if I continued in my education into drama therapy, I knew that I was going to do my own thing with it. I wasn't going to sell hours as a therapist for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but then, uh, so after a couple of years, I, I did some performance, uh, while I was there from, from the drama for human development uh, or drama and education department, you could audition for the shows. So I still got some performance experience there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and are you building the foundation for the, the way you work now in all of this, or is there some other thing after this that you build your foundation? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Yes. I think I was building my foundation of my process then, but I graduated from that program, not really understanding what an objective was. Right. You know, like all, all basic, you know, formal theater training now or acting training is based on, you know, Stanislavski and, yeah, yeah. and an objective and, you know, pursuing a, I didn't, I hadn't done any of that. Right. I didn't know what that was. I knew people, I heard people talk about it in rehearsal, Yeah. but I really didn't understand what they were talking about. So and I was like, oh. where do you start getting that? <clears throat> in grad school. Right. So afterwards you go to grad school. Yeah. I, well, yeah. Yeah. Afterwards I go to grad school, it's, but, but. In terms of the way I work now is I had, I think I always had Roger Guetta in my head, you know, about being uh, an artistic genius. And in Drama for Human Development, all of the performance stuff we did had this like humanistic objective. It was about connecting to your, uh, using theater for social change is about the individual being honest with themselves about their thoughts and about what they're feeling. Right. So like the work of Augusto Boal, where you go into like socially oppressed societies and get, you know, the oppressed population to role play and play the oppressor and you get the oppressor to play the oppressed person. And that's more about connecting to human beings and connecting to yourself and finding words for, you know, what's not going well in your own psychology. Right. So objectives and tactics don't really enter into that formula, but that was my basis, Yeah, yeah. you know? And so all this animal 
you know, this physical work and like climbing the pretend rope that's slippery and all of these, like trying to reach the medication that's on the ceiling. That's, (laughs) you know, all of the actor kind of stuff. Yeah. But none of it was to get a better acting performance. Like the, the, it was only process. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. But so when I decided to try to go to grad school, it took me three years. I did like the unified resident theater auditions, the Erdas that, uh, it's like the unified auditions for all for a, a, a bunch of grad schools in the states. Okay. Um, oh, in the states. Yeah, in the states. Oh, okay. I knew I wanted to go to grad. Like, there was only like two grad programs. There was like York University and I don't know maybe UBC had a grad program for okay. acting at yeah, the yeah. time. <clears throat> and I knew I didn't want to go into uh, uh, drama therapy just yet. Like that. That could have been you know that could still happen later. I don't right. know. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so. Um, I, uh, um, went to grad school. I started auditioning for grad schools and failing miserably in those auditions because I had no technical training. I didn't know. Right. I remember having to get a letter of recommendation from the head of acting at Concordia. And he's like, what do you know about acting? I was like, well, you saw, you know, you saw me in Midsummer Night's Dream. He's like, yeah, it was a great performance. But what do you know about acting? And I was like. Wow. He's like, what's an objective? I'm like, that's why I need to go to grad school. Right. Um, so it took me a while. It wasn't until I met Kira actually that she coached me up and I finally got some offers. Kira, your wife. Yeah. Yeah. Because the first year I auditioned for Erda's, I got nothing. The second year, uh, somebody from the Denver center, uh, Daniel Renner, who used to run the program at the Denver center, the national theater conservatory in Denver, uh, saw me. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. He's like, you need help. I was like, I know. He's like, but you're not good enough to come to grad school. I was like, I don't know. Right. Uh, he's like, okay. And he sent me away. He's like, come back tomorrow. Like work on this material. Think of these things, go away and come back. I went the next day. I was in Chicago at the time. I went to the museum. I tried to get inspired. I come back and do the audition again. He's like, what is that? I was like, isn't that better? He's like, no, that's worse. He's like, you need to come to Denver for the summer and, uh, and work with some like acting teachers. So I went, I did the summer intensive at the national theater conservatory in Denver. That's where I met Kira. And she, she was, had a friend in the program. She uh, wasn't in the program. She wasn't in it anymore. No, no, no. She, she was from Denver right. originally, or she was living in Denver at the time. She had just moved back from New York. Kira, who was our last guest here on, on acting. In a small world. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so at the NTC is where I got that other half of my process, which is what this chat started talking about is right. so the basis for my process, I guess, is that, that creative work that we did in drama for human development at Concordia. Yeah. But then when I went to the Denver centers, when I got clear on what objectives are, how to pursue them, how to connect them to yourself, voice, speech, the technical aspects of acting. So then that leads me to, uh, what do you do when you first get your script or sides? What's the first thing you do when you grab your script, script and sides? Four sides. Okay. Which one? I mean, yeah. So that, so I I was anticipating this question and the truth is it's, it's situational. And I think if anybody says it's not, I think it's, they're not being truthful with themselves. Yeah. I think it depends. It depends if it's an audition. It depends how excited you are about the material you're about to work on. Right. And, uh, it depends how high the stakes are for you. Well, let's assume that you're excited about the audition. And it's, uh, and it's something you want to work on and the stakes are high. What would be the first thing you do with an audition? Uh, um, 
Is there and if there's not a one thing, there not everybody has one thing. I mean, personally, no. I guess there's there is a first thing. Is honestly look at the number of pages. Yeah. <clears throat> Just real quick and go. Okay, how much work is this going to be? Yeah. If it's two or three words, okay. And uh, the truth is, when that happens, when I first get my audition sides, uh, like my life is really busy right now with kids and stuff, and I don't. I try not to do screen time when I'm when the kids are home when I'm with my kids. Yeah. Uh, or when I'm with my wife. Um, so if I'm stealing a minute on my phone while they're in the other room, it's really, I look at the number of pages. If it's two or three pages, I'll read it. If it's seven or eight or 18 pages, I'll make a mental note. Like, okay, I got to set time aside tonight to do that. If it's two or three pages, I might not even set aside a block of time. Uh, just skim it and, and in skimming it, make a decision about how much quote unquote process work I'm going to have to do on it. If any. Okay. So let's go move over to when you get a script for a show that you're working on. Okay. What's, what do you do to get yourself working on it? Um, if it's a script that I've decided I need to do work on yeah. because I'll be honest, there's not always, there's not always. Yeah. Yep. There, ha- there have literally been times where I got the gig and I read it two and a half times, read the scene two and a half times before shooting it. And I, where I'm going through blocking with the director, with my face and my sides, committing it to memory at that moment. Right. Where I have really not even looked at it more than two and a half times. And now that's not that, often the case. That's not always the case. Right. But it's the truth. Sometimes the case. And yeah, some yeah. of my best stuff has come up that way. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, there's a freedom in it. Yeah, and I'm discovering it, and it's raw. And But in skimming it, I, it's not a careless thing. I think at least... So that's a particular role. That's the, the, my work on Taken, the right. show that, uh, that shoots in Toronto. I remember skimming it and going, I know this role. I know this scene. It's predictable to me. I, I like it because it's really humanizing, uh, this character in a way that I genuinely believe in. I feel something in skimming it. I'm like, Ooh, I feel that little bubble of, you know, uh, emotional connection happening and going, I don't, I, I don't need to ever look at this again until I play it. Right. Um, and that worked like gangbusters for me, but if it's something that I feel I do need to work, the first thing I do is break it into beats. Right. Uh, uh, well, and you said something interesting there. I, uh, that's, I want to get into that. But yeah. you said something interesting about you feel something in your gut. Mm. How important is that when you're working on something to know when it's ready to rock? <laughs> that's not a leading question. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, I, 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 what's the question in that? The question is, do you put a lot of importance in that gut feeling of being excited about working on something? Yeah. It's everything. Yeah. It's everything. Because if it doesn't happen, my whole process is manufacturing that. Right. Yes. Right. Is, is convincing myself that this is the best thing ever written mm-hmm. and it was written just for me. Mm-hmm. And if I don't oh, feel that point, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if I don't feel that, then that's the first thing I apply my imagination to. Yeah. Is go, how, how is this the best thing? It reads like shit sometimes, (laughs) Sometimes. but what am I missing? This is somebody's best effort. If, if this is printed, I don't care. You know, this is somebody's best effort. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're being paid to 
make this. And they're talented. And in some way, they're they, talented. They haven't had the time, maybe, to put the, the work in, but they're talented. And they're a creative genius. Yeah. Who am I, you know, like, getting back to that thing, they right. are perfect in yeah. their artistry, somehow. Yeah. And if I don't see that yet, then that's the work that I have to do is close that gap between my judgment and, and the best thing that they've ever written. And you'll do the beats thing. So you'll get in there. Yeah. You'll break it down into... It's to make sure... Well... Do you use a pen? Are you like a that guy who does uh, the like, if, actual physical? Yeah. Beats? If it's if it's, I mean, the bigger the the bigger the the, the arc. Yeah. The more I'll write. Sometimes I won't. Sometimes I won't need to write it. I have also been doing this for twenty years. So, right. so I think it's instinctively, evolved. when you read material, when you've been conditioned to do that work, like you know the, the verbing or you know that yeah, time-consuming yeah. stuff. I think uh, you you read it the first time and that is happening. Right. It's you, you're breaking it up into beats and going, oh, there's the beat shift. Yeah. Oh, there's a tactic shift. Oh, there's an objective. Oh, that's not the real. Why would he say that? Why would she say that? Oh, oh that's what he's actually going for. Right. And and then you you don't need to write it down because that's your understanding of the of the material. It's words on a page, but really that's the storefront, right? Like the script is the storefront. Yeah. Yeah. You can either focus on the glass in the front of the storefront or on the display case just behind the glass, or you can realize that, wait, all that just represents what's in the store. And beyond that, it represents what's in the warehouse that they get their stuff from. Yeah, the giant warehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. That's a good analogy. Um, uh, And so do you, uh, you're breaking it down and you're looking for... uh, Beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. To make sure I end in a different place than I started. Right. Um, and uh, to make sure that there are shifts. Right. Yeah. Just just that. Because, and I don't have to know for myself what those shifts are. But you can, you can identify when a shift needs to happen. Because really, the truth is, right, like, we can do all that work at home. <clears throat> but then when you show up and the other actor... Starts the scene crying, and you're Change like, "Whoops!" Everything. Yeah, right. Uh, of course. But the shifts are still there. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So the actual tactics are really just an exercise of like, oh, a possibility. Well, and I think that's the key: is the work that you do as you get on in being an actor uh, becomes more about um, filling it in and then letting it go, and not holding on to that work. I mean, that's the trick, yeah. I and mean, that's the thing, because you want to be free and in the moment, and, and all the things that are, you know, cliche. Yeah. Um, but there's a reason they're cliche, because it's really true. But the, if you don't do the work, there's a hollowness to it. Don't you agree with that? Yeah. Like yeah. If, not, I mean, obviously, your example of, of you read it, you get it right away, there's not going to be a hollowness, because you get it right away. But it's not often the case. But even getting it right away, like, I don't want to oversimplify it, man. I did 20 years of work. Right. Dude, in grad school, for years, I was acting. Like, if you look at the hours in a day, I was in it acting more than I wasn't. Right. For years. Yeah, yeah. Like, you I, you get up in the morning and you're teaching the undergrad class from, like, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. And then you have your own classes that start and you're in scene study, you're in voice and speech, you're in movement class, you're in you know, theater history, and then you're in rehearsal for another show, and then you're performing that night. Yeah. And then 
in between, when you're having lunch, you're running lines and you have scenes to study for scene study class. Yeah, then yeah. you pass out the best, and though. you get up at 6 a.m. to go teach again. Like, yeah, yeah. But you do that for three years in a row, plus all the other stuff. Yeah. Like, to say that I looked at that Taken script and say there was no work done, that's, there's 20 years of work right. in that skimming. Good point. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's yeah. my understanding of the text is like, that's, there's a shift, there's an objective, there's the tactics I play, there's my expectation of it. Um, there's my emotional, that's is what I know personally about it. Here's a personal life experience. And all of that flood comes in. Sometimes you don't have to read the words. You can look at the shape of, of the scene, like literally how much stage direction, how much your character talks, how much like, you know, the physical shape of the letters on the page. Yeah. I understand something about the scene when I just look at the shape of it. Like what, for example? Like it, um, it, it says what? Let's let's say there's not a lot of action and it's mostly dialogue. What would that uh, that says? That uh, I don't know. It depends. Like yeah, right. Uh, is it? If it uh, are they really long character descriptions? Uh, uh, action descriptions? Are they really short? Sometimes, if they're descriptions about physical stuff, then I know. Okay, eh, we're going to spend all day on set. This is a really long explanation, but to be like just to give an example. If they're really big action descriptions and it's all physical stuff, then I know all our day, all our time on set that day, and therefore the priority for this production and this director is what is physically happening on set: the fight, the car chase, the pursuit. Da, 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 da. The dialogue is secondary, and they don't really care about it. Yeah, yeah. If this is TV, yeah. If it's film, then maybe it's a little bit different. Right. Um, so then, if I look at it and go, okay, it's a fight scene. I get it. I don't need to break that down for me. Yeah. But if it's a bunch of like, he thinks about his childhood and what his father did to him. And I know it's this emotional. Then that tells me something about the tone of the scene, about the connection work that I'm going to have to do internally. Right. If it's a bunch of words and the first three lines are exposition, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to have to go and, you know, fight to condense all this dialogue on the day. Cause I'm not going to live through all this exposition. Yeah. Right. But so, you know, those things. When Now, uh, just to jump back a little bit, when, yeah, yeah. when do you book your first professional job? Is it take a long time out of grad school? No. No. I was working professionally before that. Oh, you were? Yeah, on, because on when, I, when I got back and did my undergrad, I started working professionally. I started working, because uh, I was in Montreal. Montreal's a small town. Um, my first professional production was Woody Allen's God at the Sadie Bronfman Center in Montreal. Um, that was a great show. Uh, and I did a bunch of other professional theater. I did Shakespeare in the Park, and I did... Shakespeare in the Park where? Uh, in Montreal. Oh, cool. Yeah. Lowell Gozoi was the director. And it would be one of the little traveling, like it would be at Mount Royal Park. Yeah. <clears throat> and you'd start over by, you know, by like the, the statues, and then we'd be hiding out, you know, over the hill or by the fountain. Or oh, by wow. the trees, cool. and the crowd would have to move, and then... You know, they'd move over here and then you'd pop out from the tree and right. do your sword fight and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I did that for a few summers and then some kids touring shows. And um, and then <clears throat> and I was doing some uh, some film and TV stuff. Um, yeah, I got a couple of film and TV credits at that point. And then after I met Kira in, in you know, the intervening years, I got into stunt work as well. Right. That complicated the whole operation because then um, I got into film and TV more, uh, 
and doing some stunts, doing some straight acting stuff. And then those two things kind of cross pollinated. And then I became the action physical guy in Montreal. It's a very small market. Yeah. And even smaller back then. And this is around the time you're going to do the 300. Uh, this 300 was the first thing out of grad school. Okay. So everything leading up to that. And that's part of why I felt I had to get out of Montreal and go study because, uh, I felt I had hit a ceiling in Montreal and I was working on everything, but I'd work a day because I'd have this guy that could do some dialogue and then get blown up or fight or, you know, fight or shot. Sure. Or kill. Right. Yeah. And so all my stunt buddies would be on that show all season because stunt guys get recycled and you can keep working. Yeah. Um, and I would come out for a day and be like the star of the stunt guys, but I'd work one day. Right. And make my thousand dollars, and they would make their year off of that show. So yeah, that wasn't yeah. work. That wasn't sustainable. Right. And then I wasn't being taken as seriously as an actor, being considered for roles that don't die. Yeah. <clears throat> because I was too useful to them as the action guy. Right. And being able to get killed and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it also got me on some bigger sets and bigger projects that I wouldn't have gotten through conventional casting stuff. Right. Uh, but then, right out of grad school, even in grad school, we weren't supposed to keep working. But because I would get opportunities, like I worked with Spielberg once on uh, the terminal, Spielberg and Tom Hanks. Wow. So I got this stunt actor opportunity. The coordinator called me and he's like, you know, can you come? And I was like, I'm in grad school. They won't allow me. But I went to the head of the department. And I was like, look, I know there's this policy of us not working, but like, have you ever worked with Spielberg? Right. You're going to keep me, you know, here to do, uh, you know, to teach classes and, and do more voice and speech exercises instead of going to, you know, spend a week with Tom Hanks and those guys. Yeah. Um, so I would sneak away every now and then in grad school and do a few days here and there. Uh, and then 300 was... Now, I, 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 I don't want to get too, too into it because I don't want this to be just a biography, mm. but your story getting 300 is interesting. So Chris, quickly, you, oh, you yeah. chased it down, right? Like, yeah. You, this is not something that came to you easily. No, not at all. And which is, I know uh, of you, a recurring theme in your career as well, that you hunt stuff down when you want it. Yeah. And yeah. I, it's an important note. Um, and I think I do that to a fault. I think sometimes it, it makes me hard to work with. Like well, I think self judgment aside. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so, so three hundred uh, was coming to Montreal, and I was familiar with the Frank Miller graphic novel, um, and I knew uh, I was t- familiar with the talent pool in Montreal, and uh, you know who was there, who was capable of working on stuff like this, and I knew that they were going to need Middle Eastern or Mediterranean looking actors who were in good shape and who could swing a sword. And I could count on one hand the dudes in Montreal that fit that description. Right. You know? And I was chief among them. And, like, I knew who... And I'd been working on my acting, and I was still in shape. And all those skills were still sharp. And I was like, there's nobody better for that specific description than me uh, in Montreal. And so I I wasn't represented at the time. Uh, So I tried to find out just went online and did all this research to find out who was casting it locally in Montreal, who was casting it in LA, who the stunt coordinator was, who the stunt coordinator trained with, what martial arts style they were going to do. Because uh, if it's a martial arts heavy show, the martial arts world works in lineage, you know? Yeah. So there may be somebody I had trained with was in the same lineage as somebody who's working on the show. Right. Um, and so then I, I sent my materials uh, to everybody who I could find that was associated with the show. So the casting director, the casting director's assistant who had gone to school with a friend of mine, like I pulled out every connection I could find every network 
and they sent me some uh, audition sides. And there's like top secret, but if you can tape this. Uh, and then I found out who was the stunt coordinator and I sent them my materials and I found out that they trained with somebody I was training with in Orange County at the time, uh, at Orange County martial arts. And, uh, and so I went and spoke to my, my Sifu, to my martial arts instructor and said, Hey, by the way, you know, your, your, uh, classmates, Damon, Caro and Chad Stelsky are working on this show that I'm trying to get on. So if they ask about me, cause I've sent them my stuff, just a heads up, that's, you know, that I also do this acting thing. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, and then I went to the film and TV studio at the university and I got the guy who runs the AV department to put a camera on a crane. And I did this super elaborate audition. Oh, wow. With the crane flying in. I get my arm cut off and he framed it out. I'm like, oh, my arm and all this. So who do you finally get in touch with to get you this part? Well, um, I got a response, an email response, but then... I heard, and then I, I heard nothing for a long time and I heard that it was starting up. Like I knew some guys that were actually starting to rehearse on the stunt team and I knew some roles were starting to get filled back in Montreal. But in the meantime, I'm in Orange County. I'm out of grad school. I've got all this grad school debt. I have a baby, brand new little human being that I have to support. I'm working the Wild West stunt show at uh, Knott's Berry Farm making 12 oh, bucks wow. an hour. Yeah. Uh, you know, money's super tight. I don't have money to like fly around and... Uh, and one night, a buddy of mine, Adrian Alita was driving me home from Knott's Berry farm. And he's like, so what's going on with 300? I was like, man, I haven't heard anything. He's like, well, why don't you go there? If it's starting up, I was like, I can't, you know, I can't really afford to fly away right now. And you know, the baby. And he's like, so you don't really want it. I was like, dude, what are you saying? I don't want it. He's like, well, there's something that you can do to like pursue this harder and you're not doing it. So you don't really want it as wow. bad as you say well, you do. It's epic advice. Yeah, it was. Like, I mean, that's, uh, uh, we can always be doing something more. Yeah. If you identify that there is actually something yeah. that you can do, if you're choosing not to do it. Right. For whatever. And Subconsciously, choosing, usually. Yeah. yeah, yeah or yeah. convincing yourself that the it's mitigating impossible. factors make yeah, it impossible. Yeah. That's your choice. Yeah. And it's it was, okay to make that choice, but know that you're making it. Yeah. But right. know that you don't really want it as yeah, bad yeah, as you right. say. Or you want other things more, which is okay. Yeah, but sure, it's the, sure. It's the, that's the thing. Um, anyway, sorry. But ahead. so again, my dad to the rescue. And I called dad and I was like, hey, uh, I need to come home to you know try to get this gig. So uh, it was you know within a matter of days, uh, my pops you know bought me a ticket. I went from the airport, uh, literally from the airport in Montreal to the liquor store. I bought two bottles of Coppola wine. Because I realized that Francis Ford Coppola had a vineyard and like it was movie related wine and yeah. they'll make a good gift. I went from the liquor store to the casting director's office uh, with two bottles of wine and two cards, one for the casting director, one for Sean, her assistant, uh, saying, hey, I know you guys are probably swamped and busy and I've been away and I don't have reps. It's kind of hard to find me. I want you to know, thank you for seeing my tape. I'm in town. I know you guys are casting these days. Uh, if you need to see me, I'm here. Uh, I can come anytime I'm available. Thank you. And I left the bottles there with the reception and I went, found out where the stunt team was rehearsing and it was some obscure warehouse that I'd never been to. And I drove up, I went there, got out the car and I remember the local Canadian stunt coordinator saw me and, uh, there's really no reason I should have been there or known where this was. He was deeply offended. Oh, really? Presence. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He was like, what are you doing here? 
Like he knows he didn't hire me. He knows who I am. And like, like I said, there weren't a lot of performers with that skill set. Yeah. And, uh, so he, uh, uh, you know, tried to cock block me from going in there, but I went in there anyway. Um, and, uh, they put me through the paces and I, you know, I dropped names like, Hey, uh, I trained with Daniel Sullivan down in, in, uh, Orange County. And, uh, you know, I figured you guys, and I like, you know, pulled up my shirt and showed them my abs. And, uh, it was all about that, right? Packs right. and abs and yeah, swords yeah, and stuff. Right. And so, uh, they put me through the paces and I was super nervous. And I remember the stunt guy who was putting me through the sword choreography was like, dude, calm down, calm down. Like you move better than this. And I could not remember three movements of a choreography. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I you know, finished that, <clears throat> went, uh, to a buddy's house to like decompress. I hadn't been home yet. This airport, you know, liquor store, casting director's office, stunt stage on my way to my buddy's house. I'm walking into my buddy's house and, um, the, uh, the stunt coordinator calls my phone. I'm standing outside, just about to go into my buddies, and, and uh, stunt coordinator says, uh, "Okay, you start rehearsal Monday morning. Uh, don't make any plans for the next three months." Uh, and I was like, "Wow, yeah, wow!" So I got the stunt gig. While I'm on the phone with him, I get another call coming through. I switch over. It's the casting director. Oh, at the same and time. the same time, physically, I remember that hallway outside of Bradshaw's place, and uh, and. And it's the cat, it's the receptionist, right? Okay. And this is an interesting story. So the receptionist, her tone on the phone at first was like, hi, is this uh, Patrick Sabongi? I'm like, yeah. Andrea wants to talk to you. Can you, can you hold on a second, please? Can you wait? I was like, uh, yeah, but I'm on the other line. Well, well, she wants to talk to you. Can you like really put out? And I was like, well, okay. Yeah, sure. So I switch over. I tell the coordinator, hold on a second. I got this other call. I come back, whatever ha- that receptionist whatever was said to her in that in between time, she comes back and her tone is completely different. Hello, Patrick. Yes. Thank you so much for your patience. I, uh, so sorry to, you know, interrupt you, but Andrea would like to offer you the role of the Persian general. And it plays on these dates and da, da, da. And I was like, uh, I'm actually on the other line with the stunt coordinator being offered a three month gig on the show. Um, and then there was a lot of back and forth and then they all, agreed that they would share me and hide me as a stunt performer. Wow. And so I ended up doing, getting both gigs, doing double duty. Making a bunch of money. Making a bunch of money and changing my life, like, that professionally just, and personally. This has just changed the trajectory of your career. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, I know, uh, do I have you for a good amount of time? Are you, yeah, man. Are you? I know. I'm, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I just, I, I don't want to keep you. Um, the, uh, yeah. Good. Do you feel like you've learned more from training or practical experience? Or is it a combination of the two? Mm, I'd say... It's, it, it has to be a combination. A combination of all those things. Because in training... Like, I still apply a lot of what I learned in training. Yeah. But I left grad school going, okay... I know about the stuff that I know. I don't know the stuff I know yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you don't have ownership of your knowledge yet. Yeah. You're like, I know. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah yeah, 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 So putting it into practice over the years gave me ownership. When did you feel like you had the ownership? Was there a, a project you worked on where you go like, I know what the hell I'm doing now. Excuse my language. I know what the heck I'm doing, whatever. <laughs> I, I can swear. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I dropped some S bombs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where I felt like I knew what I was doing. Was there a moment or a, a time in your life or are you still searching 
Is it still like a constant? Oh yeah, uh, no, I'm still searching. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely. Well, yes, because every project is different. Yeah. Every role requires something different of you. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it requires the skills that I don't need to look at the material again. Sometimes I have to dig deep and go, oh, okay, wait a second. How do I shape that sound in my mouth to do this accent? Yeah. Or how do I connect emotionally to this moment? Oh, there was, yeah. I'll just tell you, there was a couple, the reason that I say that is because there was a couple years ago where I finally felt like I know what I'm doing. Like I'm not where I want to be. I'm not complete by any stretch of imagination. It's really just a birth. Mm-hmm. But I felt like the first, I don't know, 15 years of being an actor, I was spending them being born. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. I got born and now I can go about learning what I need to learn to be better. Uh, and hopefully I do that forever. But uh, did you have that moment as well? Or is that? Yeah, I think, I think 15 years is about accurate 15 years in. So this is about nine, 10 years ago. I did a film, um, in Edmonton. No, no Calgary. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, uh, there's only it, five it, people it, that are going to realize that there's a difference. There's a difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, Again, no offense. Both of those towns are fantastic, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I yeah. love them both very much. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's a film that never came out. Uh, but I had, uh, you know, a very significant role in it. But there was something. Uh, anyway, I had just moved here. It was the first thing I auditioned for when I moved to Vancouver. Yeah. And uh, I remember that I. I felt really connected in the audition and um i had to sing some leonard cohen songs and it really i'm not i'm not a singer but the character was this middle eastern character who really had this affinity for leonard cohen and some somewhere in the research of that material it really connected it to me and i felt like man i got this like it's all coming together and i remember the director's feedback to my audition whatever was that she saw in me in that audition uh, she elevated me to this level sure, and it was right. that so uh, believed in you. She believed in me to the point where she called me to say, look, we're still trying to get the money together. We're going to have to push production for a year or so. But like, I want to build this production around your availability. Please let me know. And then wow. when I finally got there, um, she had her son come pick me up from the airport and as soon as I got to set, she ran out and started telling me all the issues production had with like the lead actor and, you know, stuff that was missing in his performance and the supporting character, what was missing in his performance, and that she couldn't wait for me to start working with them to show them how it's done and to elevate the whole acting, you know, department of yeah. the production. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I, you know, you owned that. I yeah, owned right. that. And yeah, I felt good. like, yeah. I remember walking in and they're like, yeah, where are they? Cool. Yeah. Let me talk to them. Where are they? What are you guys shooting right now? What, what, what page are you? And I felt like I took ownership, not only of their acting department, but that it was all coming together and that I was equipped to do that. Right. And, uh, yeah, right. That happens, uh, as you start moving up the call sheet, uh, it happens more and more that you feel, a, 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 uh, like a responsibility to the whole project yeah. as opposed to just your part. I remember you telling me about that, about one time you played a lead and how it trickles down from you. And you, you agree with that? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, yeah. How much do you think about the technical side of performance? Uh, um, for example, do you think about the lighting and how it affects your performance? Do you think about where the camera's set up and how that affects your performance? Yeah. And how much? Yeah. Um, well, again, it's situational and it depends. Uh, it depends... Um, 
it depends how much emotional work. I guess because the, the counter side of that is the organic side, right? So yeah. if we can pin those against each other is the technical aspects. Yeah. Uh, and then the organic aspects. Well, everybody, I think in this day and age anyway, my assumption is everybody works from the organic. Uh, and the reason I ask that question is because I don't feel like the technical aspect gets talked about enough. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, we, if you're a serious actor, uh, and you probably are going to be if you're going to listen to a podcast like this, yeah, yeah. Uh, then you've done a lot of work on the organic side, but maybe nobody's really talked to you about the technical side. And, and um and I'm wondering if you use that for your performance, is it to enhance this organic stuff in some way. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, and I think it's really, really important. And I think you're selling yourself short if you haven't done that uh, that work. Of, but see, you can't you can't substitute one for the other. The way you phrased it right now is what I agree with. Is that you you have to be aware of the technical aspects to help share the organic work that you're doing. Right. You can't just do the technical stuff without the organic basis being there. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, but I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not aware of where the camera is, how the light is hitting you. If you're, if you've got one eyes or one eye or two eyes in the lens, if, right. you know, um, if you're sharing your emotional moment with camera or not, right? Like you might, that's such a great point. Sharing yeah. it like you do with the audience on stage. Yeah. Yeah. You have to let camera see it. Yeah. And we have these defense mechanisms and I guess, you know, I'm, I'm talking about big emotion scenes, but we have these defense mechanisms, right. That make you want to hide your truthful emotions from camera. You have to override that. Yeah. You have to let camera in or make camera a character that you need something from that you need them to, uh, you need to indirectly share with that character. Yeah. Yeah, just like you share with the audience. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it just speaks to the whole... Uh, I mean, I don't know, when you were first starting out, I don't know if you had the impression that there was the fourth wall meant that you ignore the audience. Um, uh, I had that impression. And it was, took me a while to learn that actually, no, the audience is part of my performance, and I was doing myself a disservice all those years. And then at some point, you start working in film and television, and the camera becomes the, the audience. Yeah. No, I, I don't think I ever learned that the audience wasn't there. Like when I think back to that first time I, I stepped on stage in Swan Lake, right. I knew that I was dancing with them. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Dancing with them. Good. And, well put. and uh, Hamlet, you know, for lack of a, of understanding, all of my soliloquies were directed right to the audience. I was like telling them my, they were in my story with me. Yeah. Yeah. They were witnesses to what I was going through. My closest confidants, actually. Yeah. So that I built that relationship every night with the with the audience, yeah, yeah. and I, I've never let go of that. Are there performances that you've built? Um, with Sorry, f- and I just want to oh, add please, one other thing. I, by all means, because uh, we say the camera, right? But the camera is an inanimate object. But if you've ever been in front of the camera, and you you've got a really intimate moment or an emotional that you need to share with camera. There is an actual physical audience there, and that's the camera operator, sure. the grip on the dolly, yeah. uh, you know, the AC who's on your focus. And I see and feel those people lean in, and they pay attention to every minute shift in you because that you know the guy who's pulling focus, man. If you turn your face from here to here, and it's got a really narrow, paper thin depth of field, that person has to 
stay with you. And they're, they're not just reacting to what you're doing. They're in it with you and they're trying to anticipate, sure, you know, yeah, and if you yeah. do this thing with well the put. pen, the camera operator is going to tilt down and like, you can feel them with you in the performance. And as moments are unfolding in ways that no, nobody expected, they're catching it too. And they're excited about it too. Yeah, and you're excited about it, commit, committed and, to it. And, and we, uh, we don't give those, those professionals that, enough credit. Well, as a part of the performance, that's such a great point Yeah, as a part of the performance. I mean, at first I thought you were talking about the crew in general as the audience. I mean, the, the crew is watching your performance sure. and, and you can feel it. And if it's going well, you feel them jiving with you and, yeah. and that's all going well. And if it's not going well, you can feel that as well. Yeah. Uh, and then like, oh, shit, this lunch is going to be forever. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, but, uh, but, uh, but beyond that, there's a lot of guys doing jobs that are involved with your performance. Yes. Part of the machine of your performance. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, do you think about the physical life or, or of your character ever, or of characters you've played? Do you ever work from the outside in, uh, in terms of makeup or physical stuff? Is that something you do? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've always known that about myself is that, uh, I have to address those things. I have to make physical choices. Otherwise, uh, I'm just trying to be natural and believable. Yeah. And I'm so sick of watching those kind of performances and I don't want to do them. Right. Like if somebody's going to go through the trouble of making a whole production around this performance or writing this character or making this show, then, uh, it's a physical medium. Like you, I feel I have to think of those things. Yeah. Uh, I try to change something every time. Well, and you bring up an important point about not forgetting it's a performance. Yeah, man. Cause we get so in, in, in modern acting, so caught up in naturalism for the last however since the 60s or 70s since it started becoming a thing um i guess even earlier the 50s with brando um the uh uh, the naturalism has taken over because it was the opposite and now we've sometimes forgotten that the performance is part of it that uh, that is uh that is a show it's not it's a show yeah it's a show always want to watch ultimate reality yeah well yeah i get um, Living aside reality television and that whole yeah. ball watch for a second, just done. Which is also performance, right? It's like absolutely, they're all, they're it's all, more of a performance yeah. most of the time than, than yeah. most television shows. Um, yeah. So, I mean, not to compromise the truth of the scene that we're playing, but you have to acknowledge that the story is only going to come out through a performance. And will you think about that physical stuff and try it on, or will it you know, happen organically generally? Um. Sometimes I'll have to practice it. Sometimes it'll just be an intellectual choice and I'll go, or it'll come out of, um, like it'll come out of a reaction to who's in front of me and how much status they have over me or how intimidating or seductive, or it'll come out of the tactic. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, but I'll think, how do I physically want to, uh, embody this tactic? And then what does that say about my character? So when I bring him back tomorrow, uh, how do I retain that? Yeah, right. Uh, are you a guy that likes rehearsal? You like rehearsal? Film and television? You ever get to give her experienced film and television rehearsal? Have you? Or is that not something that uh, you've done? Oh, some, you people, mean, some people I've asked that question be like, I've never done rehearsal for film and television. Um, oh, you mean like before the day rehearsal? Not uh, not blocking rehearsal? Uh, actually, no. I've never... Yeah, blocking. Cause, well, either. Both. Uh, yeah, I've done both. I've done actual like... Well, also, all my fight stuff and action stuff. Of course. Right? We do a lot of rehearsing. Yeah. Which I love. You feel it's freeing? Yeah. It really is. Uh, it, it 
really is. And I do like, usually I do like rehearsal. I do like it because, because if you, you know what, if you don't decide certain things beforehand, the truth is that you're deciding them on the day as you're shooting the scene. And that means that part of your brain, or at least mine anyway, is caught up in the technical stuff and the blocking and, uh, all that physical world. You're occupying brain space during the performance that could be dedicated towards listening more closely Mm. or, or feeling more deeply. So I like doing, getting that stuff out of the way go, okay, I'm going to, I like finding it. I like being allowed to find it like, okay, this is my office. Actually, I'll go to set early if it's a location that I'm that my character is familiar with. Yeah. If it's my character's house or my character's office or my the counter, if I'm a cop in the counter, my my, I'll go either early or when they're shooting another scene and get familiar with that physical space and make some broad choices. Yeah, and go, yeah. that's my stapler. This is my chair. Right. Or I like to stand here. Or um, it's because I like to interact in my physical environment and I like to. Uh, Oh. Busy, busy. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I don't know what happened there. Um, um, but yeah, because then uh, the, that familiarity works its way into the scene, and I can dedicate more brain power to to feeling more deeply or making more interesting choices in the moment and surprising my scene partner. Cool. Um, so uh, we talked about this a little bit. How do you how do you care about the performance deeply? And then get to that moment of releasing in the moment. How do you be sure that you do both? Or do you concern yourself with that? Uh, At one point, I trust that I'm a creative genius. Right. (laughs) You know, to bring it back to that. Yeah. At some point, I go, okay, uh, I put in all the effort I can and... Now I have to trust that all of those assets, that I'm bringing everything of myself to bear, and that that's going to be good enough. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like sometimes I have to just trust that the director got what they wanted, and even if I feel I need another one, yeah, I just go, it's not for me to judge. You know, they, they, they say moving on. Yeah. It must be good enough. That's well that's a difficult thing. You don't come to that easily, I'm sure. Like that takes a couple of years to yeah. to not second guess yourself after you're done and go, did they get enough or did they not get enough? Well, it comes a couple a couple of uh years of uh asking for another one and then yeah. doing it again and it's not much better right. and them going and then realizing that that take goes in the notes. Like there's they put somebody puts a price tag to every take, you know, and if you've asked for another one, that goes in the production notes. Because somebody at studio is going to do a cost analysis of the production and go, why do we do that again? Oh, it was a camera mess up. Why do we do that? Focus problem. Fire that focus puller. Uh, why do we do that? The actor asked for another one. Well, Sabong, every time we get, get Sabong in there, he costs us 130 grand in extra takes. Right. And it's not better. You know? Yeah. I don't know if that actually happens, but that's what I believe happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, you, uh, do you focus? I mean, you talked a little bit about uh, with the 300, the aesthetics of being an actor. Is that something you give a lot of thought to? I mean, it's kind of an unfortunate side product of being an actor. Is um, is that that plays a part? Do you think about that at all? Is that something you not don't really think about? The aesthetics? You mean like being in shape? And, yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think about it. 
I don't try to be something I don't want to be. Uh, I, I try to hold myself to the thing that I wish I was. Oh, meaning what? So what, how do you know that? Because I know what I like. I like being in shape. I like being right. physical. I like being able to swing swords and jump off of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in my element when I'm doing that. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, and I think that it's, it, there's a place for that in the industry that I'm in. And I've occupied that space professionally. And so, uh, I just have to keep working hard to stay in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Which includes like, like my appearance is part of it, right? Like I'm, and, uh, like I'm losing my hair now and I worry about that. Not for me personally. I don't care. I'll, I'll rock my bald spot all day long, but I know that on set and for hiring purposes, that doesn't help me. That's not what I'm hired for. Yeah, That's yeah. not the, the space that I've carved out for myself in the industry. Now that might evolve. It might change, but you know, I like kind of being a little bit, the handsome guy and the guy who's in shape and I could do physical stuff. I really enjoy that. So you give that, you do give that thought. I do give that thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it becomes an important point because people get lost in that. Yeah. And so I guess, um, part of the question is how do you avoid getting lost in that? Because I guess I asked that question, assuming that one day somebody will say, Oh, I don't give, I don't care about this. That I used to be an actor. And that's yet to happen. I think everybody does on some level. Um, so, uh, yeah. and I, I mean, I know you well enough to know that you don't get lost in that. And, and even the fact that you're so open about the things that you're sensitive about, they, uh, it indicates that you don't get lost in that. But yeah. there, oh, I mean, I know people that have, there's been moments where I have, right. uh, so how do you avoid that? Dude, we're doing a podcast. The first thing I ask you is if you can hear the zit on my face, right. like it's obviously, yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah. occurring to me, uh, <laughs> but, um, I think it's, it, it's tricky because. I happen to occupy that space. I happen to be physical and, you know, I keep saying it, but like, you know, uh, considered to be in the handsome category and stuff. And I happen to be male and uh, all of these, um, qualities that I have that are advantageous for me in this industry because of the biases this industry has. Mm -hmm. But my hope is that everybody can just embrace who they like to be and then, uh, strive to be themselves like, unfortunately, a lot of people who don't look like me or don't have my skill set or my attributes uh, focus on trying to become that, trying to be in shape and trying to uh, look a certain way that people think is aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, like in terms of the health of humanity, uh like that is the shortcoming of the industry, not of the actor. The it's the industry that considers that makes those considerations and those value judgments. Mm-hmm. The actor should never do that because there is a place for everybody in every type. Yeah. So, so, so th- I think it's okay to focus on, you know, those aesthetics, but I don't think it's okay to strive to, achieve an aesthetic that isn't you right well this is the thing this is the thing that i've been preaching uh and i use that word not uh, yeah specifically uh is that what the industry wants is for you to be the healthiest version of you yeah and people who say they'll be they'll be jerks that say differently that say you need to be 
skinnier or more muscular or whatever. Um, Paler. Yeah, whatever. whatever their thing is, they're they're just misinterpreting what really needs to happen is that you need to be a healthier version of yourself and maybe you're not treating yourself well. Yes. And if you are and they say that, then fuck them because they're wrong. Yep. Um, but if there is some truth to it, which sometimes there is, that you're not being the healthy version of yourself, just get to be the healthy version of yourself. Yeah. And, that's, yeah. I guess and healthy, I hope you, you include... Uh, uh, mental health, of course. Like it, being in love with yourself and being okay with yourself and not resenting. Well, you know. your 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 physical appearance is a direct reflection of your mental well being. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, the way you can you, be any shape, yeah. any look, but if you have embraced your individuality, then it's going to be beautiful, it's and they be. will fall in love with you. Yes. And especially now in the industry, there is a move more so in TV. Um, which, you know, has a faster turnover than film. That's why the change is happening more quickly. But uh, in TV, they're looking to fall in love with diversity. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean cultural diversity, but like differently abled people and uh, people of different shapes and sizes and abilities. Um, they need to fall in love with characters that uh, that are different than what we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And that starts with the individual actor going, wait a second. I don't need to be skinny or I don't need to be taller or I don't need to be darker or lighter or shorter, or shorter or, or whatever. whatever. It doesn't be... matter what you are. You always think you got to be the opposite. Yeah. Um, when do you feel fulfilled as a performer? Are there roles that, that you can point to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And I think, uh, lately for whatever reason, I've been getting a lot of opportunities that have been really fulfilling. I've been really in line with, uh, with my personal beliefs. And my, uh, you know, my quote unquote social activism and stuff. Uh, and those have been really fulfilling. Like when I get to, uh, when somebody's written a character that they need help humanizing. Yeah. It's happened a couple of times where, you know, I'll be honest, like where the part's been written by uh, a straight, able-bodied white guy but they've written a middle Eastern character Mm -hmm. because they don't fully understand it. And they're like, we wrote this Iraqi character or we wrote this Pakistani character and, uh, we want to explore what that is, but we need your input as a person of color to flesh it out and humanize it. And they invite my input and my contribution to the creation of that character right now. That is what I find most fulfilling. And I've gotten those opportunities a lot on uh, the art of more, uh, on Homeland, on Drone, very much on uh, that disgraced. You know, I had to fight for that. That's theater. Yeah. But I had to fight tooth and nail because I don't think uh, the director was equipped, and I don't think she was asking the right questions, and I wasn't going to do it um, wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it story or role that excites you? Role. Yeah. Is the role? Truthfully, yeah. Yeah. Well, because because it, so because the role, the character has their own story, right? Right. So maybe it's not the story of the whole show or movie, uh, but I fall in love with my character's story, and that I think comes through the role. Yeah, yeah. I'm more interested in my character's story than than and your character's than everybody else's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, how much do you think about marketability, marketability, or uh, or make choices based on 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 what you need to do to be more marketable? I mean, it falls into the kind of thing we were talking about before. But even beyond that, you know, getting fresh headshots and all that kind of stuff. Oh, 
Those whatever. kind of choices, not acting choices. Not acting choices. The stuff outside of acting. Um, do you think about that kind of stuff? The, the opposite, yeah, like the, the business part of yeah, uh, the yeah, show. yeah, yeah, constantly, yeah. constantly. Uh, what did I do just before coming over here? Is I uh, fired my uh, public appearance uh, convention agent, yeah, and uh, pitched a different agency. For, and, and that the whole convention market and that's just marketing yeah yeah right I mean I can't wait to get out and meet fans and, and talk to people about the work that I've done but um, that's straight up professional move I spend a lot of time doing that yeah when I'm not working on a part I'm working on that right that's a full time job yeah yeah and I do it for me and I do it for my wife and I do it for uh, you know our careers and now my, my kids are starting to get into it and I'm doing it for them <laughs> do you encourage them no yeah. No, but then we keep making movies and put them in them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like inevitable. How important is it to you to create your own work? To be creating those things? Uh, I think it's really very important. Um, more important when I'm not getting fulfilling acting opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is the most the beginning of every career. Yeah. Yeah. But lately, the last couple of years, I have been getting roles that I couldn't have... Like I couldn't have imagined better roles, like the ones I just mentioned. Yeah. If I had sat down to write a play, I would have written that if I was good enough. Yeah. Or yeah. the characters on Homeland and all of those sure. other shows. Um, so because those are fulfilling me right now, um, I still think doing my own work is really important, but I don't have to prioritize it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But you have it in the past. You've prioritized it so you could be doing something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And honestly, I'm still buying my time. Like, remember when I was in, like, you know, uh, the day that I switched into drama, I remember thinking, one day I'm going to be good at this, about, you know, I'm going to be good at acting, but acting isn't the end game. I'm still that producer event organizer. Yeah. That's how I see myself. Yeah. That's still coming. Like, I still have, you know, one day I am going to write a feature that I'll probably direct and star in. Yeah. That'll be my vehicle. That'll be my own work. Uh, I still haven't done that. I still haven't had the, the, the time on my hands or the brain space really to, to create that, but that's coming. So let me ask you this then. Why do you act? It doesn't make sense for me to do anything else right now. Right. Uh, yeah, it's the thing that I'm best at that can provide a living for me. Right. Right now. Yeah, yeah. I don't like if I'm if I'm honest, I don't need to act anymore. I could if I could provide a stable life for my family right now and still be creatively fulfilled on my own, I don't need to say another line of dialogue on stage or on camera ever again. I've, I've checked every box in my acting career and I'm super grateful and yeah. thankful. Uh, <clears throat> but it's not a need I have anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like because really of your like, family and because you have other creative outlets. Yeah. And I've, I've like every dream role I've gotten to do it, you know, yeah, like yeah. I really have man. And there's still great roles that are coming. I'm sure. And I still feel that I need to write my own thing. But, um, it's not a, 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 I'm not going to feel disappointed if I never, like I, I'll, I will feel fulfilled, um, just producing or just directing or 
you know, moving to a small town and taking over the old coffee shop and turning that into a theater and then right. putting on theaters. I have that dream. <laughs> yeah. Like I, yeah. uh, yeah, I can, I can get away with that. Um, just a couple more questions that are kind of esoteric as well. Mm. Uh, if you, if you could ask your idol actor, who's your idol actor? Do you have a, like a couple or one specific? I'm, I'm hot on, on Tom Hardy right now. Tom Hardy. But yeah. in general, like as you've come up, is there somebody, I mean, for me it was Brando, Tom Hardy now, sure. But Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks. If you could ask him one question about being an actor, what would the question be? Well, it just pops into your head. Do you, when you're doing it, do you realize how good it is? Ah, right. And so do you, when you do it, do you realize how good it is? When it's going well? <laughs> sometimes you do get, because that's a really good question. Uh, well, I know that there are moments where I think it's as good as I think it is. And, and but I, I don't know that other people watch it and go, that's really that great. Well, when you watch back later on, the moments that you feel the best in, are they always the best moments? No. And vice versa. No. Right? No. They're not. Yeah. And sometimes it's the opposite where you think it's really bad and it, it it's... Yeah. It comes out great. It comes out amazing. So that's... Yeah. 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 Um, what's the job of the actor in society um, is the question I'm asking, but also on, yeah. uh, on set too. But I, especially for you because you are such a big advocate for so many people. Yeah. Uh... Is to have an opinion about how this human being you're creating uh, adds something to society. To have an opinion, to be aware of that, uh, and to bring that to bear. Like, you don't have to agree with my social perspectives or my politics or my belief systems. But if you don't have an opinion about where this character fits into the fabric of society, you're not adding anything to the, to the, to the world. Right. Yeah. And we do have a responsibility as actors to do that. I think, um, well, that's it. So let me ask you uh, if you got anything you got. Well, you got some stuff coming out on television. So what's coming out on television? What's coming out in the theaters? Uh, that people can catch drone on? is still out there, still kicking around uh, that I would love people to, to find. Is it on theaters or on demand? Uh, it was in theaters. It's probably out of theaters now. Yeah. Uh, just recently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's on video on demand. It's so on keep iTunes. Keep an eye out for it. Buy it on iTunes. Yeah. Buy it on iTunes, whatever. Um, drone is coming. Uh, sorry. Uh, Shooter is coming out. Shooter season two. Shooter season two. Yeah. Uh, July 18th on USA Network. Oh, July 18th. So that's coming yeah. up. Very soon. Um, I'm starting up uh, season three of The Magicians. Wow. Season three or season two. Right. Anyway, the magicians. That's I'm um, yeah. starting shooting that uh, next week. Cool. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to promote? Causes? Anything that you're thinking about that you've got on your head? No, man. I just want to encourage people to think deeply about the world they live in and try to contribute to the conversation. Cool, man. Yeah. Well said. Thanks, Thanks Sabangi. Thank you so much. Well, thank you.